Welcome, everybody. Friday edition of Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. You can yell at me on Twitter at Kevin Cole PFF. In this podcast, once again, in the top quartile, the top quartile of football analytics podcasts, I will go through Thursday night football victory for the Titans. The Packers continuing to go into disarray. I'll give you all the advanced stats, my adjusted scores here, what to look out for in this matchup. And this is really a Tannehill dunks on the haters matchup. Tannehill, who maybe was struggling a little bit earlier this season, had a really tough matchup against the Bills in week two after losing to the Giants in a game they should have won in week one. Malik Willis starts to come in. Some people actually start calling for Tannehill to be benched for Malik Willis, surprisingly, after Willis had like a good quarter and a half of football. Tannehill comes back, dominates this game through the air with Henry, of course, adding lots of value and attraction and a gravitational force on the ground. End up winning the game pretty convincingly. But on the other side, the struggles of Aaron Rodgers in the passing game there when the running game doesn't show up for the Packers, that's probably the big story for them in this game. So I'll have my adjusted scores. I'll have the number of the game and we'll go through all the particulars there. The second segment I'm going to do today is critiquing. And again, when I say I'm trying to do constructive critiquing here, not tear down critiquing here of a segment that happened on uh, ESPN's NFL live. That was um, that I commented a little bit on the Twitter sphere about And I'm going to dig into a little bit more in depth here because it's an interesting topic. And I just felt like it could have been done a little bit better. Some better stats could have been used. You don't even have to go into advanced stats. Some better stats could have been used and maybe would have been as confusing to those watching or giving the wrong impression to those watching. And even in the end, the analysis is a little bit all over the place because I don't think people actually know what they want, whether they really want the passing game to be stopped versus the running game or whether they want to win football games, which are the two things that seem to be in opposition here. And it's just very interesting to me how football players cannot help themselves uh, and the panel there on just being so fixated on the running game, maybe getting a little bit better and how problematic that is when the overall theme is offensive production is way, way, way down, you know, take your victory lap defenders, Don't call for uh, a lack of physicality and run game and we need more run stuffers in here to stop this. Why are we calling for that when offenses are flailing out there right now? Be happy. Be happy if you're a defensive coordinator. Be happy if you're a former defensive player. This is the right thing is happening. The defense is up. The defense is now adjusted and is ahead. Don't lament the adjustments that have been made that are actually stopping these NFL offenses. Anyway, though, before I get to that, let's get into Thursday night football again. I don't have the video clips anymore for those watching on YouTube. Uh, the NFL, the heavy hand of the NFL has come down on our little podcast here and PFF generally and probably a, b- a bunch of different people about using clips, actual NFL game footage. So I'm just going to give you a little sound here. And that was the sound of the return of the jump pass here for Derrick Henry was the score that basically put them ahead and they never really, well, they're already ahead at this point, but put them far ahead and they never looked back uh, after Henry gets into the action, vulturing Tannehill on the goal line with his own touchdown pass. Out of the pistol this time. And he's going to throw, Henry's going to throw it and it's Austin Hooper for the touchdown. 
So the entire defense has to be thinking about a run in that situation. And what happens here? Henry with a big smile from Vrabel, who knows what it's like to catch a touchdown pass. He did it tons of times through his career. Well, you're... Okay, so Henry throws the touchdown pass here. He runs it in in an earlier score here. He's going to be the story a little bit, but when we get into what I believe to be the number of the game, I'm not getting too complicated here. We're not going to get too complicated, guys. Uh, Just going to go straight number of the game to say 12.3. That's the yards per attempt. Yards per attempt will be, uh, we'll we'll be talking about that as part of our uh, critique of the NFL Live segment. But yards per attempt, the most basic and meaningful passing efficiency statistic for the NFL yards per attempt for Ryan Daniel 12.3 just so you get an idea of where people stand on the season Tua is leading the NFL this year um I think at 8.5 so this was obviously much much higher than even that amount uh that you would have for an entire season 333 passing yards which is impressive um maybe not as gaudy of a number when you see guys put up 400 yards sometimes but only drop back to pass 30 times so even if you translate this to yards per per drop back now he did have some sacks we'd have to net out probably 15 20 yards there in the three sacks that he had still talking about over 10 yards per drop back which is very 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 good ryan Tannehill, the force of this game uh all the particulars here green bay was a three-point favorite at home 40 and a half total, so a very light total. No scoring in the fourth quarter for this game. Uh, still got it, still got the over there, though, with, let me see, how many points here? 27, 37, 44 points. So still got the over in this one, 27, 17. Notice the quick math there by your humble data scientist. Adjusted score much, much higher because the Titans were pretty efficient. They just didn't really put the gas pedal down in that fourth quarter with that 10 point lead that green Bay never seriously threatened. And the adjusted score was 30 to 16. So even a bit wider than the 10 point differential widens out to a 14 point differential for this game. Okay. So let's get into it again. I want to talk about Tannehill first Uh, one in this game to the broader picture on him. Let's start positive and then we'll get into some of the green Bay stuff. So Tannehill in this game, Uh, Subject to review, 83.1 passing grade in this game. Again, I mentioned the 12.3 yards per attempt. Beyond that, completion percentage of 81.5%. And some of these were pretty far downfield. Some of these were into tight windows. He came to about 20% over expectation as far as his completion percentage is concerned, no matter whether you look at it from a next-gen perspective or whether you look at it from like a Ben Baldwin's perspective. perspective and how he calculates it with NFL faster, which is just really looking at the depth of target uh, and less to separation and things like that. Either way, tremendously outperforming what you would expect in this sort of game for Tannehill, well over 20% what you'd expect. A QBR from ESPN, if you want to dip to that, which basically translates to the percentage chance you would win with this type of quarterback performance if everything else is average around him. Uh, 90 in QBR for Tannehill in this game. So a great performance for him. And we go over to the rushing game. I mean, just to give you some idea of the rush is effective, but not great in this game. A success rate of 35% running the ball versus 65% passing the ball. The expected points added per play rushing the ball is slightly negative. Passing was about half a point per attempt. Now, some of that Derrick Henry got in the mix there. Um, 
a little bit, a little bit there, but mostly this is Tannehill. He was over 0.55 EPA per play, which is a tremendously good number. He added about 18 expected points added in there. A great number again. And that was really the theme there. Now they did have a pretty even run pass split 29 design runs to 34 pass attempts, but it's not that heavy. And in fact, for a Tennessee team, it's not that heavy at all. They normally can skew way further to this. This was for a team, again, that was up by 10 points for pretty much the entire second half of this game. It was pretty similar to what you would have expected out of this type of game, whereas Tennessee is down near the bottom of the league in pass rate over expectation so far this year, right in line with teams like the Chicago Bears uh, for what they've done previous to this. So they leaned a little bit more into the pass And I don't know if that's something they saw from the defense, what they were showing them, whether it was something they saw because of the personnel groupings that they had there, whether it was something they saw because Traylon Burks is now back in the mix. Robert Woods is getting healthier every week. Um, They wanted to lean into that a little bit more with Tannehill now being healthy again. I mean, I guess it could have been any of those things, but they definitely did it and they definitely leaned in and it was successful for them in this game. Uh, sticking with the Titans for a while, uh, we could talk about Henry, right? There are at least optically some okay numbers here. 87 yards on 28 carries. Again, not efficient at 3.1 yards per carry, but did convert five first downs there. Slightly negative, of course, on uh, as far as the running is concerned. We go to receiving, though. Trail on Burks, the emergence of Burks here. Now, 51 yards was on a catch at the very end of the game where he – he did the too small thing to after the catch, which that's the type of taunt that I, it'll get a laugh out of me every single time. He did the too small to Jair Alexander. He was matched one-on-one with him. It was a one receiver route on a play action near the end of the game where he sealed the game with a 51-yard catch there at the end. He ends with 111 yards on seven catches, eight targets in this game. Obviously the biggest game for Traylon Burks in his career and a really great sign for him going forward. Uh, He had another play where there was an interception thrown to him on a one receiver route. I don't think it was necessarily his fault. He wasn't playing a ton. Once they got inside the 10, he was almost exclusively off of the field. Once they were inside the 10, he ran 21 of 32 routes, but Westbrook Akine and Robert Woods were up at 27 routes. So he's still third in line for routes there in a team that likes to use multiple tight ends a decent amount. So that could cap his upside a bit, but obviously you're glad to see this in this game. His size seems to be translating to the NFL and there's some concerns about his speed, but when you have that type of size, and again, he's doing the too small to Jair Alexander, who isn't a big cornerback, but he's over 5'10". He's, I think he weighed in 192 pounds at the combine. So he's not small. I mean, he's not Jalen Ramsey big or something like that. But I wouldn't call him small either. And, you know, he he made him look like his little brother on that catch and run. He also had, which was one of the most important plays of the game, believe it or not, in expected points and win probability. He also had a catch, a third down conversion on the very first drive that they run all the way down the field and they score. Um, he had a big conversion on that drive to start, which I think was a 41-yard pass. Let me look it up exactly here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, 43-yard pass on the first series of downs 4.4 epa added on that play which was the second biggest impact play of the game it was the most positive impact play of the game because the biggest impact play of the game was a throw to Traylon burks uh it's actually funny burks was involved in the top 
three expected points added plays in this game. The interception that was thrown to him on a one receiver route where they did play action and they had him going down the field. Tannehill had a little bit too much of a heat check on that one. The um, 43 yard catch on third and seven, and then the 51 yard catch on first and 10 in the fourth quarter, which sealed the game. All of those very, very impactful. Uh, I guess one piece of context when we talk about the negative expected points added on the ground is that Henry did fail to convert a fourth and one. So that was a highly negative play about 3.7 EPA that was lost on that one. So that was a big one. Uh, One of the other big plays, a fourth down failure. And let's, let's maybe flip over a little bit here to the Packers and the problems there. I think a couple of different plays for me really illustrated the problems. One is this fourth down play. So the Packers are trying to get back into the game at the, at this point in time, it's an estimated about 10% win probability. So they didn't have a very high win probability to start off with. But this is when they're in the fourth quarter, 526 left, fourth and three. And they have the ball in decent you know, territory. They've been moving a little bit on this drive. And he kind of just throws the ball up the left sideline to Alan Lazard and one-on-one coverage. I don't know if he was expecting him to fight for it. It looked like it could have been a back shoulder type of play, but it wasn't a good um wasn't necessarily a good placement on that and again as a fourth and three so the upside that you get for getting a ton of yards down the field on a 50 50 ball versus just converting is not quite the same and what's interesting is on the other side of the field they were running a pretty common like slant flat type of route combination with the tight end and the wide receiver up on the the upside of the field and I think Tanya looked pretty open on that one he in fact he he turned around he made kind of a reaction you could sense a little bit of reaction to him of why he didn't get the ball because that was the perfect throw to just convert the three yards and move on I don't know what Rodgers is seeing sometimes sometimes he seems to be drifting in the pocket not either making the correct read or trusting what's going to be the correct play and the quick play And he's more freelancing again a little bit. And that was a decent degree of his problem when he had his struggles from 2015 to 2019. And we're hearkening back to some of that that we're seeing again. Uh, I mean, another big play that happened was a similar sort of play that happened was when Rodgers had, I'm sorry, the Green Bay Packers, they got the ball. They're kind of backed up a bit. Um, when they when they were going here, but they had a third down on. Let me get the exact play here. So it was a third down in six, and then there was an incomplete pass. There was a penalty for intentional grounding. So they had the ball on, you know, a nine yard loss. They had the ball on the ten yard line. It was third and six. And Rodgers had a three-receiver formation to his left, so to the bottom of the field. And the way that it worked, one of the receivers is running kind of like a post over the middle. The safety is clearly as his hips turned and is going in that direction. And Christian Watson is running more out and then up and then out. And he's pretty wide open. And I just don't know what Rodgers is seeing sometimes. Because he held the ball, he pumped, he pumped, he's about to get sacked. He takes the intentional grounding, which backs them right up near the end. So those two plays to me 
the fourth and three where he doesn't see it and doesn't throw it hugely negative play there. And then this third and six near the goal line, which is another negative 1.4 EPA, something that dropped their win probability by about 10%, taking the intentional grounding in there, almost taking a safety on this play. But again, setting them up in a, in a fashion where, you know, the next play, uh, the Titans are starting at the Green Bay 41-yard line. It's just pretty bad. You know, you're just putting yourself in such a hole in that sort of situation. And those two plays stand out more than anything for Rodgers. Uh, his grade in this game was a 65, 5.8 yards per attempt, 40 dropbacks, 227 passing yards, two big-time throws, one turnover-worthy play, which did not end in an interception, uh, one drop and one sack. So the sack was pretty egregious. He He ran around for about five, six seconds before taking the sack on that one, but it was only one sack in this play. But if you go through the rest of the numbers here, it wasn't like Tennessee had great pass rush numbers. It wasn't like Tennessee had extraordinary coverage numbers. I mean, their coverage was good. Um, It just doesn't seem to be Aaron Rodgers executing the offense. And when they don't have the running game working, and that was the problem in this one, you know, Aaron Jones, 12 carries for 40 yards. A.J. Dillon, six carries for 13 yards. Those guys were averaging under three yards per carry. When that's not working, this offense is just not working. Ideally, what they want to do is they want to run the ball, try to play good defense, which they couldn't do in this game, at least against the pass, um, and have Rodgers execute when he needs to. When they lean in on him a bit more, you just have too many of these freelance type of plays that don't end, that don't end up working out. Uh, going back to maybe some positives here, if you want to say one, I don't know. It's not really sustainable. The five touchdowns for Christian Watson now on two touchdowns on four catches in this game, three touchdowns uh, last week on four catches, I think also last week. So probably not sustainable, but 48 yards, two touchdowns. And my desperation fantasy teams that had to start him this week did appreciate getting the two touchdowns there. There's just not much else. Alan Lazard, only five catches on 11 targets. Really, really poor efficiency throwing to Lazard. Tunyon, 19 yards on four targets. Not getting it done here. Uh, I mean, Randall Cobb was the best receiver that they had there. Most efficient receiver. Six catches on six targets for 73 yards uh, and three first downs. He was the best guy that they had there. And maybe, again, that points to the trust of them actually thinking that he's going to be in the spot at the time that you're assuming he's going to be, and Rodgers just doesn't have that with anyone else on this team. So what does this mean for these teams in playoff chances going forward based upon what we're seeing here? Well, Green Bay is down 9% in the playoffs by our numbers, down to 13%. The Green Bay Packers in week 11 are only a 13% chance to make the playoffs. Kind of crazy, but that's what it is. And when we go to Tennessee, they already had an extremely high chance to make the playoffs. It went from 94 to 96%. Their division chances are up to 94%. So those are way up to jumped up decently. I know Indianapolis won, but Tennessee has a pretty good grip there on that division. And we'll see what happens in the playoffs. I know Tannehill had a really bad playoffs last year. He wasn't great when they a couple of years before that when they defeated the Ravens he was okay though when they defeated the Ravens and then lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs um 
So we'll see what can happen with them this year. But they're pretty much going to get in. So I think it's going to be about developing that Traylon Burks relationship, uh, making sure Robert Woods continues to get more healthy and see what Tannehill can do going forward. Uh, And let's let's get into some of the Tannehill discourse here. So if you look up the numbers, and this year Tannehill's been okay. I mean, he's top 10 in our grading. He's about 10th, 11th in EPA per play. So not fantastic, not in a top-notch guy, but above, you know, Tom Brady, above, uh, I don't know, people that other people are going nuts about, like Justin Fields and other players this year. Not great, but not bad at all so far this year. Uh, But again, look at what he's been working with this season. Not a fantastic pass protection for the offensive line. Traylon Burks, again, is starting to do something this week. But before that, you had Robert Woods coming off of a major injury. Westbrook Akine. You had, you know, Arthur Smith, who had left a couple of years ago. And if you look at the longer timeline here for Tannehill, and I know he's a limited quarterback, is what people will say. Maybe that's true. But if you're really, really, really good at the things that you are limited to, if you're extremely accurate... Uh, again, CPOE, uh, completion percentage over expectation guy for multiple years. He's been doing that at a very strong level. If you're really, really good at that, if you're good at standing in a pocket and not being affected by the rush, which you know sometimes is bad because he takes too many sacks and there can be some strip sacks for him last year in particular. There were a lot of strip sacks, but there are also, also positives to doing that sort of stuff. If you're really, really good in those areas and you build the offense in order to exploit those areas, what do we say about how good a quarterback is? Because now we're going on results for, remember, he came in during and played the majority, although maybe two-thirds of the 2019 season. So we have 2019 in this offense with the Titans. So we have two-thirds of 2019. We have 2020, 2021, and now a decent amount here of 2022. So we're talking about in total about three-ish sort of full seasons for him. And then, you know, by the end of the year, we'll be over three full seasons as we look at how much he's played here for the Titans. If you look at all the all the games that have been played since 2019, all the different quarterbacks here, including the playoffs in this, because I know Tannehill has struggled in the playoffs, include the playoffs in these numbers. If you look at EPA per play and you look at PFF offensive grade amongst quarterbacks who at least have, let's say, you know, 500 reps, 500 dropbacks in this. Tannehill is third in EPA per play amongst all quarterbacks since then. Fourth in grading here. So I like to look at those two things to play them off of each other and say, hey, like there's things that come through in EPA that don't come through in the grading and vice versa. Let's look at those two things together. Now, grading doesn't always match up with how film evaluators are going to look at Tannehill, but still it's something where we are grading the throws and not just you know, yak that's being compiled. You know, Jimmy G is, is, is the opposite from Tannehill in this sort of way. Maybe a similar sort of quarterback and system quarterback you could point to, but he's a guy who does not grade well at all and or grades marginally well. Not, not, not good, not compared to Tannehill. Uh, but his EPA is really, really high. Well, Tannehill has the EPA and he has the grading, according to us. Uh, look, at the, look at the players that we're talking about here in grading. If you're going to rank order the guys who have the minimum drop back threshold for me since 2019 Rogers is number one in grading. He's still number one, uh, even though he's struggling this year Um, since 2019 Brady, number two, Mahomes, number three, Tannehill, number four, 91.9 offensive grade. Then 
I don't know if you want to include Deshaun Watson. He's missed a lot of time, so you can. Deshaun Watson would be next. Then Josh Allen. Now, Allen's 2019 was not that impressive. It wasn't until 2020 that he really turned the corner. So if you if you extract 2019, Josh Allen would bump up above Tannehill there. So then Josh Allen, then Joe Burrow, and who didn't play in 2019, but just taking what he's done in his career, and then Russell Wilson in grading. So Tannehill up at number four. EPA per play since 2019. So we're talking about thousands of dropbacks here. Mahomes, number one. Rodgers, number two. Tannehill, number three. Uh, again, if you want to include Watson, who's missed a lot of time, he would be next, then Allen, then Garoppolo, Jimmy G showing up for us. Uh, then Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, and Drew Brees. I know Brees has been retired for a couple of years now, but if you want to, like again, lower the threshold, he has some pretty good years there. Uh, Breeze being the last one in there. Hey, you know, it gets tough to argue with this stuff after a while. I know you're never going to get the high volume from him in this offense. So his ability to add expected points on an absolute basis, not on a per play basis is, is limited versus guys like Mahomes and Allen and um, Brady. But he at least has to be in the conversation with saying, Hey, maybe this guy is a top 10 ish sort of guy. I don't think his surroundings are that great to discount everything he's had. And I know there's the Derrick Henry discussion there, but if you look at performance wise, Henry wasn't very good before Tannehill got there. You know, once the passing game started to get going, it really kind of unlocked the rushing game to much more of a degree because you have to be able to, convert third downs and sustain drives, which happens via the pass. Even if you have Derrick Henry, remember Derrick Henry doesn't even play on third downs. A lot of the time, most of the time, Dontrell Hilliard with a nice touchdown in this game because Derrick Henry was not in at, at the goal, you know, near the goal line on that first drive or in the red zone near that first drive. Um, you have to be able to sustain drives in order to accumulate carries in order to put up the big numbers that Derrick Henry is doing. Now he's being efficient doing it, but it's not enough just for the running back to do it by himself. That's very rare. It's like an Adrian Peterson uh, 2012 type of situation. does not happen very often. You could argue that Tannehill has been a bigger factor in Henry's success than vice versa, but there's definitely something between the two, the running game and Tannehill in the passing game that have worked together. And there's definitely something to the fact that the formula working the way that it is, you probably do have to lean on the run a little bit more, which caps some of some of Tannehill's downside. But we should also give credit to players who are able to do what they do well. Um, it actually brings me back to the interview I had with Steven Ruiz earlier this week. If you guys had a chance to check that out, I thought it was really, really good. All the comments are on... You know, Tua, because, because Tua was the, at least on YouTube, uh, on Tua, because Tua was the the thumbnail picture. And Ruiz is a noted Tua skeptic, maybe you could call him, because uh, he doesn't have him that far up his rankings. I think he's up to 12 or something like that right now in his quarterback rankings, starting in the 20s. Still calling him a game manager, things like that. Um, but not to get too off topic here. One thing that Steve said during this interview, and I'm always looking for, like, if you can have a conversation ideally you're getting like tons of information back and forth. I thought we had a good back and forth on some of the stuff that we didn't see eye to eye on or some things we did see eye to eye on, but he dropped a nugget on me in this one that I've still been thinking about a lot. And I probably didn't hone in enough on it during the interview, but it's something that changes how you have to, at least in my perception. And I'm not, I don't even know if it's right. Okay. But 
sometimes thinking about things in a certain way, in a certain time frame, in a, in a certain um, angle that you're looking at it can change your, your outlook in a way and change your philosophy or reform it in a way that ends up being extremely meaningful, even if it's not 100% correct. So what he said in this one, which I thought was really interesting, I think it was contrasting the offense for the Dallas Cowboys underneath Cooper Rush and the offense underneath Dak Prescott. How Prescott can do more things than Cooper Rush, but in a way, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, so I may have this wrong with with exactly what he said, but in a way, by Dak's ability to do harder things, you know, harder reads, harder pre-snap, post-snap sort of stuff, his ability to do harder things sometimes enables an offensive coordinator and play caller and schemer to overcomplicate things and actually make things harder on the quarterback because they have a higher ability. And you wouldn't even try to do that with a quarterback who doesn't have the ability to do these things, but not trying to do that can actually give you better efficiency in your offense, not trying to do something that's more complicated. Maybe the upside is higher and the, more like the downside is lower, like the ability to stymie what you're doing scheme-wise is lower if you overload the quarterback with all of these different options that they had. It almost makes the play, if executed properly, impossible to stop. But at the same time, because adding those extra layers of complications, you may be lowering some of the play-by-play average value that you can add. And that really blew my mind a little bit because then it comes into this conversation where we're talking about the Tannehills, the Garoppolo's of the world, the Kirk Cousins maybe of the world that are downweighted by the film watchers who say they're system quarterbacks, the Tua's of the world, they're system quarterbacks. And then you go to other guys who the film watchers like more, like maybe, I don't know, even Trevor Lawrence of what we've seen from, from him recently. Um, what you've seen from other guys, the film watchers love Dak is a guy since we already mentioned him. He's someone who falls into that category where, you know, maybe, you know, just purely looking at the stats, that is something that you have to look into a little bit more is that are these quarterbacks actually being held back by offensive coordinators, making things too difficult for them. I thought that was an interesting concept, at least to think about where we want to be evidence-based and we want to look at the stats. And I do think the stats point us in a closer direction to the truth than where the consensus um, film watcher is. But if we can find real evidence, and this is something, again, I would want to tie back to EPA per play because you want to always have an anchor of something you can measure. If we can tie that back and find some evidence of making things too complicated, I think that'd be interesting. And also think it'd be good for play callers to know this sort of stuff that like, don't, don't try so hard to do something that you're actually hurting yourself in a way by overcomplicating things. Anyway, that was an interesting thing. Again, go back, listen to that interview, guys, and it'll be some good stuff there. Okay, before I get into the return of the run game, put in quotes, the return of the run game here, let's go ahead and pay some of these bills. First, DraftKings, which will come up, come in handy when we talk about... Um, my best bets, model-based best bets for the weekend. Um, betting's coming to Maryland. I'm out here in Maryland, so props to me. Uh, don't have to drive over the Virginia border anymore with my phone like an addict to, to place any bets there. Uh, DraftKings, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. They're unbeatable offers right now. New customers can make 
any $5 NFL bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Just place a $5 bet on any football game. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook using code PFF. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Also, Unexpected Points is sponsored by the Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernandsouthern.com slash PFF. Oh, we got a new one on here, Manscaped. I haven't read this yet. So there's going to be something in here. <laughs> there's going to be something in here. Uh, something uh, that'll be interesting slash uh, objectionable. Okay, let's go. Manscaped. This holiday season, I'll be giving thanks to our friends over at Manscaped. Well, maybe. Everyone loves turkey and stuffing, but you'll be looking like dessert <laughs> with the help of Manscaped Performance Package 4.0. The leaders in Below the Waist Grooming have blessed you with the ultimate Thanksgiving dinner topic. Tell your in-laws about your new cutting-edge ball trimmer. I don't know about, maybe this is like coffee after dessert topic. But anyway, um, nightcap. You're all drinking a nightcap together, perhaps. Uh, New cutting-edge ball trimmer and gift yourself or the man in your life the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Trim your pumpkins and save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code unexpected. Inside, you'll find their Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver, ball deodorant, crop reviver, toner, performance boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold your to hold all your goodies. Um, now, when they start going through that at TSA. You know, I don't know. It could be a bit of a situation there. You have to explain what the uh, what the crop reviver toner is for. You're toning your balls, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Um, think your holiday spread is good. It's time to give thanks to Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, or as I like to call it, the perfect package for your package. There's a lot of package in this read. Giving Manscaped is the ultimate hack to become the family favorite. Save 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com and use code unexpected. That's right. 20% off and free shipping by going to manscaped.com. Use code unexpected. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. I don't know how they thank you. I don't know if it's like some sort of sign language, ball sign language, but they will. Trust me. Okay. Let's get to this NFL Live segment so i saw this dan orlovsky shared it and a few things just popped on my radar immediately we'll go through i i I took some clips out of it because he shared like a nine minute video about this discussion that he had and you know i'm not i'm not i'm not going through the whole nine minutes but i'm going to hit on a few different things here it will be a little bit long here and i'll do my thing where i look through it and i stop and comment on what's going on and we'll discuss how this could have been framed better if it's true or not, the return of the run game, what the real implications are, how we should be thinking about it, all that sort of stuff. Um, 
Okay, so let's go ahead and share this video. And this is the very beginning here where Dan's introing it and he's going to put up some stats here. So I got I got some beef with some stats right off the bat here for what uh, they're talking about here on NFL Live. Really the most dominant aspect of theme-wise going on in the NFL right now is return of the run game. Marcus Spears is going to love this one. So we're going to start here. Right now, league-wide average this season in 2022, yards per completion is at 11 yards. Look at this number for home. That's the lowest since 1933. We're talking 90 years. That's the first year they started playing playoff games. So every completion in the NFL is the lowest amount in 90 years. Okay, so let's start with yards per completion, guys. Um, we're going to start with yards per completion. I remember there was a little bit of a – actually, actually spilled over to Twitter with Troy Aikman saying something about yards per completion being more important than yards per attempt. And then Evan Silva saying, you know, he was dumb, kind of. Like, he didn't literally say dumb, but he was implying that that's like doesn't make any sense. And then, you know, Aikman came back at him and this and that. Of course, Aikman's one of the highest guys in yards per completion in his career. So that kind of makes sense that he's talking about it here. But this got on my radar because someone else shared this clip and they said, passing efficiency is the lowest it's been since 1933. That's what they took away from this comment about Yards per completion being so low. Yards per completion is not passing efficiency. Okay? Passing efficiency is every time you drop back to pass, if you want to look at it a simple way, how many yards you get. If you want to look at it even a more simplified way, what I talked about for Ryan Tannehill, yards per attempt is the important part here. You don't care how many yards just when you're completing the ball. And incompletions are important too in your passing game efficiency. Extremely important. If you look over time, yards per completion has been falling steadily, although there are ups and some ups and downs to it, steadily for the entire history of the NFL. I don't even know where they got, like, I don't even know where they got this 11 yards per completion being the lowest since 1933. I looked up on football reference, yards per completion in 1933 was 15.4 yards. It's been going down for like a century. So I don't know how they even got this number. So that's not even right. But even more important, Yards per completion has always been going down. If you track yards per completion over the last decade, you would see it going down almost every single season because completion percentage goes up. And completion percentage times yards per completion gets you yards per attempt. And that's what we care about. The NFL offense has changed. It's throwing shorter passes, but completing them way, way more often. Back when it was 15 yards per completion, a century ago, which I guess they want to get back to in some places, um, completion percentages were like 45%, under 50% for a very long time. Now, of course, the average passer is over 60%, and you see guys over 70%. Uh, pretty often, every season, someone is over 70% completing the ball. That's the trade-off. Shorter passes completed more often give you more yards per attempt, and they even allow you to be more consistent moving the ball down the field, which is a higher expected points added type of issue, allowing you to convert third downs and not have to, you know, bombs away on these third downs. So there is no way to look at this. It's a bad stat to use, not even correct. That's the lowest since 1933. And again, people are taking the wrong information from this. Uh, but yards per attempt is down. So that's again, like you could have used yards per attempt. And you could have said it's the lowest since 2017. And then before that, 2017 was a big drop. You could say before that, the lowest was 2008. 
So we're almost back to, you know, mid 2000s sort of level of yards per attempt. That enough is enough to say. If you look at EPA per dropback, it's the lowest it's been over since 2006. That's again, use that number. That's pretty impressive enough. This number makes no sense. Not even correct. Um, okay, let's move on. So what's that mean for the run game? Overall, the league is averaging four and a half yards per carry. That's the highest in NFL history. Think about that. Completions are down. Run game at least as average is all the way. Okay, so let's go to the 4.5 yards per attempt. Again, you could have probably used EPA per play and it would have been better, although EPA per design run is actually down a little bit from last year. But 4.5 yards per attempt, um, as if this is some like huge sort of number. You want to guess what yards per attempt were in last season? 4.3. Okay, so it's higher. I'll give you that. What were yards per attempt in 2020? 4.4. So, like, are we really we're talking about one-tenth of a yard per attempt here with quarterbacks rushing it way and way more often, which is also on scrambles and other things that are being – like, imagine these – the numbers that he's quoting here are including 60-yard – multiple 60-yard scrambles from – um Justin Fields in this number like it's it's like whatever it's it's up a little bit I'll give you that it's up a little bit but the real story is the decline in passing efficiency that is the story of the NFL right now not necessarily the increase in run efficiency there are there's a there's a smaller gap but that gap is almost entirely because passing efficiency is down okay let's continue oh yeah so what's that doing the league-wide scoring average is 21-8 that's the lowest in 13 seasons. What we're seeing right now in the... Okay, so the league scoring average going down. Remember that for later in this because it's like he's saying the league scoring average is going down, which kind of shows the defenses are winning. So then why are we not just recognizing that kind of overall macro fact when we're having the rest of this discussion? NFL, even though these talent quarterbacks are wildly talented, is the importance of running the football, being committed to doing it, doing it well... And that's really shaping how well your football team can win and play games offensively, not how far the quarterback can throw the football. Okay, so he's saying how well you can run the ball is shaping how well you can do offensively, not how well you can throw the ball. Well, that's still not true. I mean, yeah, the the passing is down across the league, but it's still very, very, very important to have a good passing game in order to have a good overall offense in the NFL that has not changed it's just the floor has gotten lower for a lot of passing offenses the average passing offense has gotten lower and with the exception of a couple of guys like maybe Patrick Mahomes uh Josh Allen until the last couple of weeks it's just been harder to get the high-end outcomes for your passing game but if we look at drop back EPA per play this season Okay, drop back EPA per play and the top offense in the league. Again, remember, he said what's driving the top offenses isn't the passing. It's the it's the rushing more. Okay, Kansas City, drop back EPA per play, number one. They're number 18 in running the ball. Do you consider them a good offense? Yeah, I consider them a pretty good offense. Uh, Number two, Buffalo Bills in drop back EPA per play. Uh, They're number 30 in run EPA per play. Do you consider them a good offense? Yeah, they struggled a little bit, but I think they're one of the top offenses. Uh, number three, in drop back EPA per play, which can include some scrambles and stuff. I'll give you that. Um, Philadelphia Eagles, 
Now they are number one in run EPA per play. So good offense. Don't get me wrong. But if we're talking about like which offense may be the most fragile amongst those three, the most confident you are that they'll be good. I don't know. I'm a lot more confident in Kansas City and Buffalo, despite the fact that they may not be good running the ball because they they don't have to. Uh, Number four in dropback efficiency this season, the Miami Dolphins. They're number 23 in run efficiency. Now, they are running the ball pretty well but in recent weeks, but they're still throwing the ball amount, and it's still about throwing efficiency. And then number five in dropback efficiency, Jimmy G and the San Francisco 49ers, number 26 in run efficiency this season. Now, I would say those are all really, really great offenses. So, and I'm just looking at how good they are when they drop back the pass, not when they're like most people are going to have those offenses, maybe not the 49ers, but going to have those other offenses in their top five. The top five rushing offenses this season Philly, I mentioned before, Baltimore. Now they've been a pretty good offense, so I'll give you that. Dallas, it's been okay. Uh, Cleveland, I don't think anyone's making them a top offense. Uh, the, uh, the New York Jets, is anyone like the Jets are being driven by great offense? The Chicago Bears, the Atlanta Falcons. That's like your top offenses there. I think there's a much, much higher correlation between the passing offense and the running offense. Now, of course, this is easy and this is obvious. And I know it's kind of like pedantic almost to even discuss this. But again, this is what, you know, this is what's been putting out on television and people are like praising as being good. So I just want to talk about like, why do we need to frame things this way to overemphasize this? Okay, let's continue here. There, uh, I think I clipped part of this here and it goes into Marcus Spears talking about some stuff. But it's interesting because this is when it kind of flips to the defensive guys here, Spears and Ryan Clark, almost being upset about the defenses not being better against the run, even though the defenses are winning right now. So now what we're seeing a part of this run game, one, you don't practice it enough. I've been telling you that. Two, you don't have the guys physically that can sustain 40 runs a game. They're just not built like that anymore. I eat to your point. Why do you think that when Jordan Davis is on the field for the Philadelphia Eagles, the run game is minuscule as opposed to him being out. One of my notes was written down was, when was the last time a defensive tackle was come out when the drafter was really good and he was young and we called him a space eater? Okay. This is – I'm nitpicking here, but – the whole, like, when when did a defensive tackle come out that we called a space eater? Go ahead and go go to Twitter right now. Uh, go ahead and advance search Derek Brown, number seven overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft. Not that long ago. Um, type in Derek Brown space eater. You'll get, like, a billion tweets about how he's a space eater. He was known as being that, too, coming out. I mean, he had some potential to deliver pressure from the interior, but, like, c- come on, Dan. Like, it takes like five seconds to to disprove this your 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 note here. But anyway, um, why are we? But why do we care? The defense is winning. We just said the defense is winning. That scoring is down. Why are we lamenting this? That space eaters are not coming into the NFL. Okay, let's continue. We don't we don't talk. That don't way say anymore. it anymore. It's, can he get to the quarterback? Yep. Right? Can he get to the yep. quarterback? That was one of the things I wrote down. That's why teams offensively we know that we. That's why we're going to continue to attack you with the run because you don't have the guys that can stop it. Absolutely. Well. I- why do we care if you have the guys who can stop us or not? The, def- the offenses stink this year. Okay, continue. I think everything catches up, right, to what's the main thing. And when you are morphing offensively into these spread offenses and you're throwing the football around, now defenses morph as well. Right now, defensively, I don't want the defensive end. I don't want Reggie White. I don't want Michael Strahan. I want Von Miller. And that's why guys like T.J. Watt can be the defensive uh, player, players of the year because they're fast, because they're agile, because they can bend, because they're quick. And also think about the back end now. All we're teaching these kids is footwork, 
we're teaching these yeah, kids yeah. technique, yep. right? Like my son right now can coach in the NFL as a defensive backs coach because that's all I've ever taught him is how to play the position. And so now we're seeing the Patrick Sertan Juniors. We're seeing the Jalen Ramsey and these long, rangy guys who have technique, skill, athleticism, and you can minimize some of the great players on the outside. But what you can't do is now when you move inside and you say, you know what, it used to be I want Roy Williams, but now I got to get somebody that can roll down the slot. Now I got to go get Quay Walker or a backer that can match up with the tight end. The one thing we used to praise in football was physicality. We no longer praise that. And so now when the offense says, oh, you got this guy so he can run sideline to sideline, let's see if he want to get punched in the mouth. Okay, so again, like why are we having – we're having a segment about the running game is is working slightly better. Again, we're up 0.1 yards per carry versus a couple years ago. Passing game stinks. Offensive scoring is way down, and we're spending the entire segment talking about all these different moves that have been made for this to occur, which is good for defenses. Defenses are doing the right thing. They're bringing in smaller players. They're bringing in more versatile players. They're bringing in linebackers who can cover and not just go against the run. They're doing all the right things. They're getting the right result. How did this segment turn into like complaining about what defenses are doing? It, does, it makes absolutely no sense to me. Totally agree. So I, I think one of the parts of this is that defenses have way more answers for coverage or the pass. Game. Absolutely. Now, this is actually the interesting part from Orlovsky here. Like, this is what we should be talking about is how defenses have more answers and why that is a good thing for defenses. They got yeah. way more answers. We see the middle field open that we've talked about. We see the match coverage that we talked about. I look at it like this. Teams play so much nickel defense right now. Like 65% of the league lives in nickel when it comes to snaps. Again. It's working, so kudos to defense to do things that work. And the nickels that come into the NFL, their their number one goal or ability is coverage. Yeah. Not like I grew up in the era, and this like Antoine Winfield. Monster. He was a killer. He, he was 50-50, though. Yep. He, he could cover he could hit, and he could hit. hit. Nowadays, when I I'll, I want to get you as a defense into nickel because I'll run right at you because I know you might win one rep. But I want to see if you can play over and 35 over and run over snaps again. as yep. a nickelback since you want to live in that. Yep. Okay, so that's the end of what I'm going to talk about here. But again, it's like the overarching thing is like the, 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 the discussion is being spoken about is if offensive efficiency overall is up being driven by the run game. But instead, the offenses stink. And yet the, the segment is being you know talked about as if like how do we fix this defensive problem about yards per carry being up 0.1. When offenses stink, it's like being framed the complete exact opposite direction here. And I don't know, like, is it just the instinctual football guy thing that, you know, if yards per attempt is up 0.1 yard, but yards, I mean, sorry, yards per uh, carry is up 0.1, but yards per attempt is down like 0.4. So you're netting being much more successful because obviously, and you pass more often. So that's, that's also successful. Like, what is it about that, that drives these guys nuts? Other than like the, you should be happy about this. Like why I don't I don't get it. Like and if anything, the fact that that sort of feel and that sort of force is what kept defenses from evolving for so long, probably, probably at least contributed to it. You don't hear nearly as often now about we got to stop the run, we got to stop the run, we got to stop the run on defense. You hear it some, but you don't hear it nearly as often. They're almost inviting teams to run a little bit more, which is making sense and working for them. Um, that what ended up taking so long and maybe in a way 
it might also take a little bit longer for offenses to now adapt to what defenses are doing if they feel good about what defenses are doing and they feel good about running the ball more, um, even if they're hurting their overall efficiency. It might take offenses a little bit longer to adapt if they take this sort of philosophy rather than we need to adapt with the drop back passing game. We need to figure these things out. We need to come up with new strategies to attack these new strategies that that defenses are throwing at us. And again, go in this way where, you know, one 2017, everyone thought offensive efficiency was going in the tank. And then we got some new quarterbacks uh, uh, placed into the league. We've got a talent infusion in addition with a scheme being adopted across the league where they started to adopt a lot more of these college schemes and other things to pump up passing efficiency. Now defense has come back and now offense needs to counter again. That's what happens. That's the cyclical nature of the NFL. Defense and offense countering off of each other, but the macro environment of passing more often, passing being more efficient, that is, there's no cyclical nature to that. Anyone who points to that, there's nothing cyclical about it, okay? Yards per attempt going up for a very, very long time. Yards per carry has been flat for a pr- pretty long time too. There, now there's a little bit of a narrowing this season, but generally the big macro trends are still in force. Now, if we see it for another season or two, maybe I'll change my tune a bit. But anyone talking about the cyclicality of the NFL as if that is what's cyclical, the run versus the pass game, what's important? No, that hasn't been cyclical. What's been cyclical is whether or not the offense or the defense has an upper hand and how they defend the pass game. All right. Hopefully that was enlightening for any of the people out there. But again, I just get a little bit peeved about the fact when I see not only this, this, this segment with some pretty easy fixes for what could be better information, but then I see people interpreting it by saying things like passing is the worst it's ever been since 1933. No, not even close. Uh, not close at all. All right, let's get to the best bets. And again, I'm just going to quickly go through this because I was ranting for a pretty long time there. This is all model-based. It's based on my adjusted scores, how good I think teams are from there. I make adjustments for strength of schedule so far this season. And then I also bring in the PFF power rankings, which have a specific number for a quarterback and the rest of the team. And it's all really based on coming up first with a number for how much we feel like a team should be favored on a neutral field against an average opponent. And then you put those two things together and make some slight adjustments for personnel, slight adjustments for bye week or not. They're coming off of bye week or not. Slight adjustments for travel, things like that. And then you come up with the overall number. Number one. This is an interesting one because I don't know if I like it that much. But the Kansas City Chiefs, they are five-point favorites at the LA Chargers. I give the Chargers almost no home field advantage in a situation like this. Uh, I have the line be more like eight and a half. So... PFF is actually, the PFF power rankings are pretty much in agreement on this one. This is one that feels good. I think it feels good. And I always get a little bit worried about bets that feel good. Because the Chargers were the better team in week two when they lost. But they've kind of been in disarray here. I think it could hinge a little bit on Keenan Allen's availability, which I'm not sure about at this point in time. So maybe keep an eye out for that. But as of right now, Kansas City has now jumped Buffalo in my power rankings and the power rankings for PFF, which means that They're looking pretty good, and the Chargers have been struggling a lot offensively this season. Number two here. I don't know about this one. This one one feels bad, so maybe we should like this one. Indianapolis Colts, six-and-a-half-point dogs at home to the Philadelphia Eagles. God, if you could get seven on that, we'll look at that one. I have it being more like four in this one. I guess I just don't have the Eagles as being that strong of a team. The loss to the commanders isn't really the effect here. The real effect is that Philadelphia has had the easiest schedule year to date. So 
what we know about them a little bit less. We know a little bit less, have a little bit less confidence in their ability to sustain the results that we've seen so far this season. And I know it's not like overreacting to one loss because I don't think anyone's really doing that. It's more just a little bit of a lack of faith in Philadelphia and, you know, maybe liking Matt Ryan a little bit here for the Colts. Jeff Saturday. If Jeff Saturday got this victory, oh my God, never hear the end of how brilliant of a move that was. And I'll have to, you know, throw up thinking about that one. And next here, I'm a little bit surprised by this one. And this is the Minnesota Vikings as one and a half point dogs at home against the Dallas Cowboys because my numbers like the Cowboys. And this is again points to, you know, like the Minnesota Vikings are at the top of pro football talks, uh, power rankings. And it's like funny because, you know, they're dogs at home against the against the the Dallas Cowboys, yet people are gonna put them number one on the power rankings because they only have one loss this season. Um, but I have this one being more like Minnesota should be a one and a half, two point favorite. Now, because that's between the threes, it's not like a super compelling sort of bet. But if you want to go money line on the Vikings, I could see getting a little bit of value there. All right. Other than that, nothing else that much going on here. Didn't have a chance to make an adjustment for, um, Buffalo, the fact that it's being a neutral field, I would have had them as being a favorite if they were at home, but because it is a neutral field, there's some travel involved in that. Uh, that one ends up being a wash, but it, that's an interesting one to at least take a look at. If you have any feelings about going and playing in a dome versus there and the travel and the lack of practice and all that stuff, I can't quite figure it out, but just so you know, the numbers would have had them if they were at home as being a play at minus seven and a half. Well, that's, that's pretty steep. Minus seven and a half against uh, Cleveland Browns team that is definitely struggling this season. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I will be back on Monday to review all the different games, the adjusted scores, all that stuff for you. Uh, rate, review the pod. If you want, drop questions, which I'll eventually collect for mailbag, either in the comments here on YouTube or on the Apple podcast reviews. And other than that, Monday morning, be back to you. Have a good weekend. Enjoy all the footballs. And I'll be talking to you then. Thank you.